In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cami and Sandy. Hi, this is Sandy. Nasima McElroy is today's guest on Money Tales. Nasima found herself nearly a million dollars in debt working as a nurse. She knew she couldn't out-earn her financial ignorance. In less than three years, Nasima became financially smart and debt-free. She's now focused on making her finances work for her so that she can spend time on the things most important to her, raising and sharing amazing learning opportunities with her two daughters without diverting progress toward her financial goals. Hi, this is Cami. Nasima is a published author and the founder of Financially Intentional, a platform about personal finance and living life intentionally. She discusses how taking control of her finances has enabled her to overcome bankruptcy, divorce, and break the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck. Nasima is also a fellow podcaster producing the weekly series, Nurses on Fire, the go-to source for nurses who are all about their money and building generational wealth. Outside of encouraging people to get their financial act together, Nasima is a mother and labor and delivery nurse. Please stick around after the interview for our takeaways from the discussion. Now, on to our conversation with Nasima McElroy. Nasima McElroy, welcome to Money Tales. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. We are so glad you're here. And to get the conversation started, would you please give us a summary of your journey in life so far, focusing on two or three pivotal moments who really make you who you are talking with us today? Sure. So I'm a labor and delivery nurse of 12 years, mom of two girls, and was never really taught about money and was sick and tired of being broke, but looking like I had it together. And so I set off on a journey to learn about my finances, discovered that I was in a whole bunch of unnecessary debt, was able to plunge through that debt pretty rapidly, paying off nearly a million dollars in debt in a little under three years and documented my journey along the way, which started a brand called Financially Intentional. And now I share my journey specifically with nurses through a podcast called Nurses on Fire, where I introduce nurses to a concept called financial independence and the ability to be able to retire early. There's a lot to dig into here. I am excited for this conversation. Let's first go to your childhood, Nasima. Tell us more about your growing up years and how is money handled in your home? We didn't have a lot of money. That was something that came up a lot. So I'm from Oakland, California. Very like not a lot of people raised by a single dad. And I was the oldest of his kids. Had to kind of be head of household early. 
but was taught how to build a lot from a little. (laughs) So just kind of to make do. The first time I really had any encounter with like money, money was when I actually got accepted into college and then was looking at financial aid packages and for the first time seeing a whole lot of zeros. And I was always taught to go to school by any means necessary. So I didn't even re- like the, it was so much money. So I went to USC, which is also very expensive. And <laughs> I had never seen that many zeros in my life. So because I didn't even, I couldn't even process it mentally, I kind of just pushed it to the back of my head. And then I remember being in my first semester at the university and they were like, you know, there's a like family contribution that was supposed to be made. My dad was like, well, I don't have it. So she's going to have to come home. And then big USC, that was like, oh no, we have endowments for this. So we'll just cover it. But like, (laughs) that was my first real experience having to like deal with money, but then still not really understanding it. Wow. Nasima, full disclosure. I went to USC too. Go Trojans, fight on! That doesn't happen very often up here in Northern California. That's right. So fight on, fight on. Would you tell us a little bit more? You used a great line as you're, as you were growing up. You were had a whole household, and you said you had to make a lot with a little. Tell us yeah. a little bit more about that. What that means and how you did it. <laughs> I mean, I was the person who had to cook and figure out what our groceries were going to be. And I know that it was like, it was a lot of like beans and rice and soup and things like that, doing pantry meals and trying to piece things together. So uh, I, I, my um, <laughs> culinary kind of regimen was kind of stretched pretty early in life. I knew we didn't have it to just go out there and buy whatever. And so it was just, it, everything was just make do. So you were budgeting at a very young age. <laughs> well, I wasn't necessarily budgeting money because I didn't have control over the money, but I was definitely budgeting resources. How many kids were in your family growing up? For the most part, it was myself and a younger sister. And then later on, my dad had two other kids. So then it became four of us. Yeah. Oh, wow. Tell us about going to college. When you were applying to schools, what role, if any, did money play in the decisions you were making? None at all. Like I said, I was told that in order to make something of myself, in order to get out of the hood, you go to college by any means necessary. And that's all I knew. And I was always the honor roll student, the the student that was in the accelerated classes. And so it was like, you go to the best school possible and get into the best school possible but money was never talked about because it was always like, well, you'll give financial aid, not knowing what that meant and not understanding the significance of how much I had to pay. Like, it didn't matter to me because my goal was to make sure I got the grades to get into school. I mean, scholarships and stuff came up, but the, the like looking at, okay, what school could you really afford never came up because it was going to be all on me anyway. Okay. So that, that seems like a lot. And and you decided to go to USC and you're learning quickly about money as you're facing some of these decisions. And what was it like when you heard from the administration that there was a family contribution component that wasn't being met? I was just in fear that I was just going to not be able to go to school because I know my father didn't have it. 
And so it was just like, it was just one of those things. It was like, well, that's the facts. Like, I can't change that. I'm already here. I can't like go to another school. So it's going to work out. It has to work out some kind of way. The other thing is that I went to USC. So it was my first time like being upfront with people who had a whole lot of money. And <laughs> so it was like this interesting, like, very traditional school in the middle of South Central. All my cousins lived around the school. They definitely didn't have any money. But then there was this like island of wealth sitting in the middle of the hood, you know? And so like that was also just an interesting dichotomy of looking at like money, privilege and all those kind of things. That was kind of a culture shock for me. How did that make you feel, that culture shock? Uh, Very broke. But, you know, still, it was always like, I will have money when I check off these boxes, so I'll be okay. And I was always the successful one. So it always looked from the outside into my family like I was always winning. And so I looked like I had money to everybody else. I mean, even my dad. <laughs> you know, like, I, I mean, I had a job. I used to have to send him money sometimes, you know, for bills and stuff like that. So it was just, it was interesting. Seema, that sounds incredibly stressful. But it wasn't stressful to me because that was just my reality. It was just like, oh, this is what you do. <laughs> if it's your norm, then it's just your norm. So, y'all, it wasn't stressful. I just remember just being in motion, like always ticking off boxes and going and going and going and just like, this is what I had to do when I was young. So I had the energy. <laughs> now it's like, seems really stressful looking back on it. But then it was fine. Nasima, were you working at the time? Yes. Tell us about that. And it's funny. My first job, I worked as a campus cruiser where we had a little escort service for campus cruisers. <laughs> <laughs> to drive people late night. So it was a night job to their house to sit to get safely home. And then I had a second job at the main library. I worked there at night too. And that was just for my living expenses, whatever my financial aid didn't cover. So I was full-time and then two jobs. And then later on through college, I started working at, at a hair shop and then I started doing hair through college all the way through grad school. So I was always working and going to school. Wow. Amazing yeah. lady. Where did you go to grad school and what were you studying? I continued on to USC and I had got a master's in healthcare administration. Why? What was, what was your desire at that time as you're going to get your graduate degree? What, what were you thinking from a career standpoint or? Like a lot of kids got into school thinking I was going to be a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor and then I signed up for pre-med and organic chemistry and all those foolish things. And I was <laughs> like, um, maybe this is not what I wanted to do. And I actually like started talking to med students and all that kind of stuff. And then I didn't actually like medicine and I didn't like being a doctor wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I grew up like I said, I was raised by my single dad, by a single dad. He didn't have, he was always like just under middle class where he couldn't qualify for services like health insurance, cover state insurance, but medical insurance was too expensive for him to have. So we had to go to community clinics. And I just remember sitting there and I had asthma when I was young. Imagine sitting in a clinic for hours to see a provider and not being able to breathe. Hmm. I was always like, I want to change 
how I wanted to affect access and long story short. And so that's what I got into healthcare for. And so literally like when I realized that being a doctor wasn't for me, I looked through the course catalog and was like, how can I affect access and really be serving, but not having to be a doctor. And so I found healthcare administration and I was like, this is perfect. This is what I should be doing. And so I got into healthcare administration after grad school. And what did you do after that? (laughs) I went and worked uh, in healthcare administration for some years and hated it (laughs) (laughs) because it was so much bureaucracy. I worked for a large hospital organization that was both the insurance plan, hospital provider, and medical group. If you guys know what that is, it's a big organization and it was highly bureaucratic. And again, I didn't see how I could really affect change. And literally at 25, I just called it quits. And I was like, this isn't for me. And I told him like, you know, I just fudged it because I was like, I wanted to quit, but I didn't want to make it seem like I was a failure. So I was like, you know, I'm 25. Thought I'd be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. Technically, with my real estate, I have a million dollars in assets. So I'm going to just retire. But what I really did was take a year off to do prereqs to go to nursing school. And because I saw all my nursing friends and they were so happy. They had so much autonomy. They made really good money and they could travel where they wanted to. And I really just wanted that autonomy and I wanted to be able to travel and explore the world because I was still young. And I felt so boxed in by this bureaucratic system. Always the youngest person in the room. I was always the usually the only person of color in the room. My opinion didn't matter. And I was just like, this is not what I want. (laughs) And so, yeah, I went to nursing school and ended up coming back to the Bay to go to UCSF and got my nursing degree and eventually my master's in nursing to be a family nurse practitioner. Goodness gracious. What a journey, Nasima. (laughs) This is unbelievable. And I know we have just started too. (laughs) Yeah. Are you traveling the world? Are you, are you able to achieve that goal? That unfortunately has been a goal that has been pushed down. It's something that's coming a little bit closer, but yeah, I'm not because I don't know if you added up all those years of school and at very expensive universities. Well, the state school wasn't supposed to be an expensive university, but because the nursing program was at a graduate University of California graduate school, but it was an undergrad, it was not a graduate degree. It's called a self-funded program. So I did an accelerated year of nursing that cost me $80,000. So total, I had $200,000 in student loan debt when I finished my nursing program. Oh my goodness. How'd that feel? (laughs) So guess what? I had to work. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what though? I didn't it didn't feel like anything at first because I didn't know any better. Because like I said, I was always taught to go to school by any means necessary. I remember talking to the guidance counselor, like, I mean, everybody has student loans, right? So I'll just figure it out. But I knew I had to work because my minimum payments were two thousand dollars a month. Was that getting uncomfortable for you or you're just like it'll work out? I was making Okay, money, actually, the, the, uh, if you want to be a nurse, the Bay Area is where to be a nurse. So I started out of nursing school working part-time, making like $150,000 a year. But I got to a point where I was a nurse for a few years and had my first daughter and then realized I don't really have any money. <laughs> 
And that's what really kicked off my whole pivot into figuring out my finances. So becoming a mom and being responsible. Yeah, it was like, and I was a single mom at that. And it was just like, uh, if something were to happen to me, all this stuff I have is real cute, but who's going to take care of my daughter? And how am I going to set her up? So she's not going to fall into despair because everything is going to be taken away because we really don't have anything at the end of the day. So when you realized that, challenge that was in front of you, how did you go about addressing it? It was funny because I thought, well, I've had all these years in school and I just need to figure out money. And to me, figuring out money was about learning how to invest. But I thought investing was trading, like day trading. And so I thought I had to learn all these complex financial, like, things in order to like move money in and out of the market. I didn't understand and investing can be set it and forget it. I'd never heard of these millionaire next doors. I never heard of any of that stuff. And I just was like on a mission. Like I, my commute from home to work was an hour. And so I used to listen to podcasts all the time. And I just committed to start listening to financial podcasts. And my world was just like, opened up to like this world that I just didn't even know actually how to build wealth. And I realized, you know, maybe that $2,000 that I was spending towards my student loans, maybe I should do something about that. Like maybe that's something that's hindering, you know, (laughs) me kind of getting ahead. And initially it was Dave Ramsey that kind of inspired me because I used to hear the debt-free screens and I was like, these people make way less money than me. And if they can do it, I bet I better be able to do this. And so kind of went down that path of knocking out debt by enemies necessary, like just going hard at paying off my debt, using the debt snowball, using zero-based budgeting, just like he teaches. And so just went down that path. And that's how I rapidly was able to pay down a lot of debt. So Nasima, tell us the history of the debt, because earlier on you said you paid off about a million dollars of debt over three years, and we've been talking about 200000 from graduate school. Right. These are all normal things that you pick up. So I had the 200000 Of course, when I bought my house, I didn't have money for a down payment, so I took out a loan against my retirement account. I had car loans. And then the last, a big chunk, obviously, of the debt was... I live in the Bay Area, so it was the last of my house that I just, when I sold it, I paid it off and that eliminated all of my debt. So before, if I, if I wasn't looking at the housing debt, I had already paid off close to $300,000. And then when I knocked out and when I sold my house, I had had just like about $50,000 left outside of like the housing debt and then whatever uh, profit I made from that house from the house sale that eliminated that. And of course, then I did not have that overhead from the house. And so that calculated into the debt that was paid off. And then another thing, another debt, like towards the end that kind of set me back was through this time, I went from being a single mom to being married, being in a really toxic marriage, then going through a divorce and then having to pay for the divorce, but also in following Dave Ramsey, not investing while I was paying off debt, being a high income earner in California, and then having to pay $30,000 to the IRS. That was at basically $50,000 at the end that I had to, that the house kind of knocked out. Sounds like a really impactful, busy, hard at times, three-year period. 
Yeah. And the reason why I share that is because people are like, three years, how did you do that? I was like, I did it. And I did it despite of like all the crazy stuff that was going on in my life. And so I think people think that you have to like have this crazy windfall and that everything has to line up perfectly. And no, I did it despite of. And so I share that because if I could do it through all of that stuff going on, <laughs> most people can too. <laughs> Seema, what a wonderful message. It's so important. And you, you did have some amazing headwinds. Were you talking with others? Uh, you, you were listening. You're a good listener, obviously, and you're smart. And you're learning through the podcast. Are you talking to anybody, anybody about your situation financially and learning and sharing? What ended up happening is as I was getting really good deep into my journey and like starting to feel like those little bits of financial freedom finally like unlocking. And I, I think I share that because I think people think like reaching this goal is reaching financial freedom, but no, it's about those little freedoms that you start to unlock and you start to like figure out, oh, I do know how to take control of my money. And so those little things started like clicking for me. And as I was learning, I was feeling so good. And I was like, my kids need to know this, but not only that, my friends' kids need to know this. Um, I have a close-knit group of friends that we've been friends since middle school. They were at my house spending the night and I was just like, you know, I've been doing this thing, like paying off all this debt, getting my finances together. And it feels really good. These things aren't hard to learn, but we just weren't taught it. If I shared these things with you, do you think you would implement it? And they were like, yeah, you know, share it with us. And I'm like, you know, I'm not really good at repeating myself. So I'm going to create this little blog and this Instagram page for you guys to follow so that you will have a, you'll, I can disseminate the information at once. And so I used to just track my debt payoff on there. Any tips and tricks I learned along the way, I would post and share and talk about it and have conversations about it. And that's how I started Financially Intentional. It was really just for my girlfriends and just for their girls, because most of us have girls. In creating that, that social media, I started to build a network of people, because of course, like I'm learning, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm listening to these blogs. Those people I was listening to became my network of people that I was also able to reach out to and be like, hey, or just even just look at their journey along the way too, that they were sharing, and that became the norm for me. So like when people say your network is your net worth is for real. I say I paid off a million dollars in debt. They was like, okay, well, like whatever. That's just like a Tuesday, you know, like to everybody, <laughs> to them, you know what I'm saying? But to everybody else, it's like crazy and unheard of. But now that's the norm. Now it's about building wealth. And then, you know what I'm saying? And so I had something to reach towards because I was following people that I aspired towards. Nasima, you mentioned financial freedom a couple of times. How do you define financial freedom? Financial freedom is how much control you actually have over your own life. A lot of times you buy, the, you have to buy that in some kind of way. Either you're trading your life, like either you're trading time for money or you're using money to buy back your time. And it's not, like I said, just this like ultimate goal of how much money you need to have saved or how much debt you need to pay off. It's those little things along the way. It's the one debt that you pay off. It's that contribution to your Roth IRA that you finally get to make. It's those little things that start to accumulate and it's called the aggregation of marginal gains, like those little things that start to build up and start to snowball to work in your favor so that now you have a little bit of cushion and you're not check to check. And now you realize 
huh, I don't have to be in this marriage, this crazy abusive marriage, because I can leave, I can be secure, and I know that I have the resources to be okay. Or it, like a, a situation that came up for me was, I was in a very toxic work environment, and I decided to step away. So instead of working six days a week, I went to working six days a month so that I could just have a little bit of peace of mind. And I was actually pregnant at that time. And I knew that if I stayed at that job, it would be detrimental to my pregnancy, to my health, mentally, physically. And so I was able to step away and figure things out. So, okay, I can't stay in the Bay Area. Let me move right across the border to Nevada, (laughs) drop my cost of living, commute to Fremont (laughs) six days a month, go stay with my grandfather, have little overhead, but still make my California money, bring it back to Reno. I mean, like, and these are the optimizations and the life hacks that you learn because of the people that you're surrounding yourself with. And because of the opportunity, like by that point, I had paid off all that debt. So I wasn't, I didn't have to like be out there grinding. Like I, I wasn't like accumulating as much money as I could but I was living a lifestyle that was serving me at that moment. What were your goals at that time, Nasima? At that time, it was really just like to have a healthy baby. Like, <laughs> honestly, to have a little peace of mind, to have a healthy baby, and to not let work stress me out. Because from a kid, I was taught to grind and to get the degree, to get the job. And so I always thought it was about reaching this level working for somebody else and that equated success but it turned into like now success for me is how much time I have for myself that I don't have to give to somebody else that I'm not going to work for somebody else that I'm actually using to pour into myself now I'm a labor and delivery nurse and I love delivering babies and I love being out there but I also need time to pour into myself and I think especially as a nurse that's something that isn't talked about and kind of is even frowned upon when you you're you're actually taking care of yourself but that was really important to me because I can't pour from an empty cup And I I saw it was affecting my other daughter. And I was like, I need to be here for her. So that was my goal. I can't pour from an empty cup. That's one of the best lines I've ever heard. (laughs) And you are right. Got to take care of yourself. Yes. So tell us about your life today and the role money plays in it, Nasima. Oh, today is that is that um like balancing act like it's just like well how much more freedom can i buy for myself and 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 i love nursing and that's why i have my podcast because it's just nursing is like clutch when it comes to financial independence especially if you're a nurse in the bay area because you can kind of write your own check so if you want to like hustle really hard and stack a lot of money you have the opportunities to do that you also have a lot of opportunities to save some other ways that most people don't have access to like i work at a community hospital where i have access to a 403b and a 457 and so i dropped my taxable income you know by almost forty thousand dollars a year just by doing that but i also can be like you know what i want to take like three months off i'm gonna go per diem or i'm gonna just take travel assignments where I can just assign myself for, you know, six to 13 weeks at a time and then take off however long and then come back and work again if that's what I want to do. And it's just so flexible. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm like, I always try to figure out what's the least amount of days I can work and still be able to make it. (laughs) 
I still meet in my financial goals, right? And so to me, it's about, geez, like how can I use this money to create as much freedom for myself and for my girls so that we can spend time together because my kids are still really young and I, they still have a lot of growing, but they need their mom. And so I don't want to be at work all the time. <laughs> so that's what it is right now. Seema, you figured it all out. It Congratulations. Like it. It, it, it sounds like it, I, I, but I'm figuring it out day by day and I just take it day by day. And that's the whole thing. Like you don't have to have it all figured out. You just got to take the, the, the steps, put one foot in front of the other. It ain't going to always be pretty. You're going to have setbacks. I've had them, <laughs> I've had so many setbacks, but you know, I share them because people need to know that wealth is not a linear path. And you're going to stumble along the way and you can still build wealth and achieve your goals with even if things happen that don't work out perfectly for you. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm going to work it out. Nasima, would you describe how your success has impacted your relationship with your friends and family? I mean, it's funny because your family usually doesn't listen to you. You know, you would think... <laughs> You would think like they they kind of see you. They're the ones that should be your biggest cheerleaders. But like, really? I'm like, does my family even know what I'm doing? And like, I ain't really listening. But what brought me to tears about a year ago, and my dad is like really quiet and he's not the kind of person that compliments somebody. But my stepmom kind of like pulled me to the side and she was like, your dad's debt free. <gasps> oh wow and for the first time like my dad was able to buy a house and those are the things that you know they're listening but you kind of feel like you're in this whole bubble and you're kind of just talking to yourself people aren't really listening but you know you want to put the information out there but it's so rewarding to know that people are watching and you never know how people are moving in silence. That was like the biggest blessing for me. Like if I don't help anybody else for the simple fact that I know that a lot of the things that I was teaching, my dad was latching on to and it totally changed his financial trajectory. So that, you know, that's the biggest thing for me. That must've felt really good to hear that. It did. It did. Nasima, tell us about Nurses on Fire. What's one of the biggest things that you've learned from doing that podcast that is is specifically talking to nurses and their financial situations. What I have learned is that there are so many phenomenal nurses out here that are doing amazing things with money. And we just don't know because there's not really a platform to talk about it. And nurses are like, you know, we're the humble, trustworthy kind of people. And nobody really understands what nurses do. So they always look at doctors as like these, like, you know, <laughs> kind of like uh, the people in the medical field that like make moves, but nurses are out here making moves. I enjoy my podcast because I'm able to highlight and share the stories of nurses um, that are doing great things with money so that I can learn selfishly, but also, <laughs> but also to know 
to let other nurses know what's possible for them. Like I said, I think nurses, it, nursing is like the ultimate, the ultimate hack to financial freedom. And so there's so many ways to optimize your finances, being a nurse, optimize your time, like whatever you want to do. I feel like nursing is really a great career for that. And so my podcast, it has enabled me to highlight those stories and also learn and grow. That's so great. I love it. You know, we get with Money Tales, we get this opportunity to have these amazing conversations. I am learning, as you said, you are learning through our guests. I'm learning right now in this conversation with you. And then also by not keeping it to ourselves, by putting it out there, you get to hear how it's impacting others. And what a what a gift. Thanks. Yeah. It's a gift, but it's challenging. <laughs> I'd like to know, what do you most want to do that you haven't done yet? It's the traveling. It's uh-huh. the traveling for me. Like my dream is to world school my kids, to teach them different cultures, different language, expose them to things. I think the world should be my kids' classroom. That's what I really want to do. Like that traveling bug that I had when I first started being a nurse has not left. It is still here. And so And it's for me too, just to learn and grow and see the world. Like that's what I want to do. That's what I want to make available for my kids. And that's next for me. That's that's what what I'm working on. I'm like, okay, how many shifts do I need to work in order to go live somewhere for a couple of weeks to months and then be okay? Like just figuring that out. That's financial freedom to me. Do you have a number in mind? Like have you actually worked out what your number is for, for this goal? I would start at places with really, really, really low cost of living, like South America, Mexico, like places where I can live really cheaply. I figured out ways to reduce my overhead here. I I, I have some numbers worked out, but I haven't like sat down and figured out exactly, but I have an idea of how I'm going to do it. Wish you luck with that, Nasima. Thank you. Nasima, you mentioned that your girls are quite young. Yeah. How are you talking to them about money at, at their young ages? <laughs> How are you modeling for them in a way that, that they're, as young people, can, can observe and follow your lead? Well, there I have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. The two-year-old, you know, she doesn't really know about money. Yeah, but the, the seven-year-old is starting to pick up things. And it's because I actively, she's, she participates in my podcast recording. I give her money um, to invest. She has an account where she gets an allocation every month and we go through stocks, we look at them and she'll tell you, oh, mommy, that stock is red right now. That's mean it's on sale. I'm going to buy some of that. She's learning like to invest and she's watching her money grow like that. But then, you know, like right now is really like the messages that I'm sending about money and what does money really mean? Really, she thinks like we're really rich. She asked me the other day, like, are we like billionaires or trillionaires? your <laughs> response? What was your response? I, I was like, whatever you want us to be, like, that's what we are. Like, what, which, which one do you like? Like, that's what we are, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't want to like put limitations or say like, this is what we don't have because I was taught from a place of lack and I want her to learn from a place of abundance and know that anything is possible for her. So that's what I teach her. That's what I teach them. And my other daughter, she'll learn eventually. I mean, she just, 
she just goes with the flow. (laughs) (laughs) When did you start the investment account with your daughter? About a year ago. Yeah. When she really started like understanding numbers, she still has a little bit of a a hard time, like differentiating, like really big numbers and small numbers, but she understands like movement. She can look at a graph and see if it's going up or going down, you know? And so look concepts like that. How will you leverage these life lessons into the future? I share the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I share it so that maybe there's something that you can learn. So that you don't have to go through the same experiences. But for me, I live life like everything that happened to me happens for me. I take those lessons and, and, I, and I move on. I implement. I look at, at the, first of all, personal responsibility is really important to me. Like, what was my role in that? And how could I have done things differently? So I'm continuously dedicated to learning and growing and improving. And, you know, I've had people say, like, nothing is ever good enough for you. Yeah, it's not. And I'm like, good enough. <laughs> we should be always on a mission to do better and to have better. And that's me. Like, and I, and I take those things that have happened to me, not as, oh, my God, they were such bad setbacks. But dang, like that was a real valuable lesson. And here's what I can do differently next time. Nasima, what's one piece of money wisdom that you'd like to share with our guests that hasn't come up yet in this conversation? I think like a lot of times people think that they can start building wealth or they can start getting their finance together once they hit like this number or they get this job, or they move to a certain place, or it's always something like they are like shooting for something before they get started. But start right now where you are. (laughs) Figure out what you really need and what's really important to you. And then just like start there. But start today. It doesn't take much, but it does take a little bit of effort. And before you know it, you'll be years down the line and looking back like, dang, that wasn't even that hard, but I'm so glad I started. And even if you just save like a little bit, like nobody ever regrets saving. Nobody ever says, dang, like I should have saved less. So save a little bit, accumulate that over time. And it all adds up. Like I said, it's the aggregation of marginal gains. It's not those like big wins that really matter. It's those little small wins that you have that are actually going to accumulate to something grand later. But you got to take that first step. Mm, Well said. You have a lot of money conversations. (laughs) Nasima, what's your next money conversation going to be? And who's it going to be with? And it's probably going to be with my kids' dad to try to figure out this whole lifestyle that I kind of want to change around. I've kind of had quite a few money conversations surrounding this because people kind of don't understand. Like, because I'm just like, I don't need this big house. You know, I could like cut my living expenses and then like live other places. And like, so it's conversations like that that are happening now. So as I make the adjustment to be international, um, (laughs) intentionally international. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) The next brand. Yep. Exactly. It's like those conversations about like, what it really takes to live the life that you want, not the life that you were told that you're supposed to have, but that is really fulfilling to you. What does that look like? And, and usually it doesn't really take that much. 
Seema, good luck with that conversation and congratulations on leveraging your learnings and sharing them with the world. I think it's just so wonderful and inspiring. And I'm so glad you're out there having these money conversations and encouraging people to start making better money decisions for themselves. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. And I think that another thing that I failed to mention is that I think it's important that me as just your average, you know, nurse, <laughs> little black girl from West Oakland is having this conversation because I feel like representation matters too. And you don't have to be like super financially savvy or be a financial advisor or have all these degrees and all this stuff to be responsible with your money. It's just about knowing what's possible for you. Such an important point, and you're certainly not average, but I understand the message, and it's a really important one. Nasima McElroy, thank you so much for joining us on Money Tales. Thank you, Nasima. Thank you for having me. Hey, Cammy, what's one of your biggest takeaways from that great conversation we just had with Nasima about her Money Tales? To start, Sandy, I appreciated her talking about going to college and how it was part of her upbringing that for her or for anyone to get out of the hood, you went to college, any means necessary. That's what she was told, and that's what she did. She's an honor roll kid. She's smart. She worked hard. And so she chose the best school possible. And she also chose a really expensive school. But to her mind, cost didn't matter. She didn't even think about that. Really getting into school that was the focus. And that idea that affordability never came up is really interesting. And that it worked its way out in the end because she is amazing. But that's an interesting thing. They were lacking money conversations to even have that become part of the conversation. How are you going to pay for this goal? And it seemed to me, Camry, that from all that hard work in high school and preparing for college and during college that Nasima just had that ingrained in her. She's been working hard her entire life and really working hard with focus and intention. What left a lasting impression on me was that she's not working just to work and earn money. She's working the minimum that she needs to work in order to create more time for her to be a mom without sacrificing any of her goals. And I thought that was super cool. She did what she had to do back in those college years. She mentioned that she just was checking off the boxes, working three jobs, I think, at one point. And she didn't find it stressful. I think, as she said, it was just her reality. And it's something she really just had to do. She had to check off those boxes to get to where she wanted to go. What about you, Sandy? What was a takeaway you would like to highlight here? Something that really struck, I think, both of us was when she talked about not knowing what investing meant. She kind of thought investing meant day trading, and that sounded complicated and scary, and she didn't know how to do it. So being the SEMA, she just jumped in and learned. She wasn't going to let anything stop her. Being Nasima, she listens to podcasts on her commute and she becomes an expert. So true, Sandy. Such and, a sponge. I love that about her. And it is frustrating when, when she told that story. I thought about how many people feel the same way as Nasima does and are intimidated because our media 
presents financial topics in a very complicated manner and make it seem like investing has to be a day trading job. And it's it's just unfortunate. And I know that's a part of why we want to bring these things to life through our money tales. Uh, and I think one of the other things about Nasima is that she doesn't stop there. It's not just about educating herself, is it? It's about no. taking what she's learned and passing it on to her community and helping others. And that's that's how the world gets better. That's how there's more education, more financial education. Cheers to that and cheers to her and what she's doing. Kimmy, what was going on for you when Nasima shared that story about her dad becoming debt-free too? Oh my gosh, Sandy, I, I think tears were in my eyes. It was so beautiful and I loved it because she talked about her dad being quiet and you know they didn't really talk too much about it, yet he accomplished something that he must have been so proud of as well as he should be. She must have been so proud to seeing that all this work she'd been doing. And, and she said her, her, her line was people moving in silence. So she's, she's putting all this great content out there and she doesn't know what people are doing with it for sure. She's hoping it's helpful. And now she gets one of her closest relatives, love of her life, is debt-free. How about you, Sandy, when you heard that? I was excited also. And I thought, wow, she's really proving the thesis of the message of our podcast that talking about money matters a lot and it has an impact on everybody, whether they're talking back with you or whether they're just (laughs) listening. Um, These messages are seeping in and you can inspire people to make good money decisions in their own lives by talking about money or by modeling good money decision-making. So true. One of my other sweetest Nisima takeaways was when she said at nearing the end of our conversation that I believe a friend said, you know, nothing is ever good enough for you. And her response was, yes, that's right. Ah, what a fantastic perspective. She's not defensive. She really embraced the positive aspects of that statement that can often be felt more of a negative term, you know, nothing's good enough for you. <laughs> and I, she's, that's right. And I loved it. Yeah. She's a special person. I'm so glad that she came on to Money Tales to talk with us and share her stories with us. And I'm going to be really excited to see what future stories she'll, she'll be sharing. Listeners, please reach out to us. Tell us how this episode or any other episode impacted you and in, in your life. Share your money tales with us. You can reach us at podcasts at com. And thanks again for joining. Yes. And please feel free to share this episode and others that you love with the people that you most care about in your life. You've been listening to Money Tales, hosted by Sandy Brager and Cammie Doder. To subscribe to the show on your favorite platform or to increase your money mojo via their blog, Fathom, head on over to Asperient.com slash podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Money Tales. Money Tales.